I think that the most sobering passage in all of the Bible is found in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. The apostle says that some perish because they did not love the truth. And I ask you today, do you love the truth? You know, if I went around the audience tonight and I ask you uh, if you love the truth, I know what you'd say. Of course I love the truth. What do you think? But you see, like Grandma said, the proof's in the pudding. And uh, when you love something, you, uh, you, you hold it close, you, you handle it, you think about it, you talk about it. Did you read the Bible since last Sunday? See, that's the question. Jesus said, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, one of the problems with uh, Christians sometimes is we've been on starvation. You know, after you, you know, it don't look like I ever went any without eating, I know. But after I went about three days without eating anything, I wasn't as hungry after the third day as I was the first day. And that's kind of the way it is with the Word of God. If you refrain from studying the Bible and you never really study enough to want to know, you don't even know how much you've lost or how much you need. The Bible says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then he makes a promise. For they shall be filled. Sometimes a person will say, I wish I had the mind you have so I could remember things. Well, maybe if you spent eight hours trying to memorize scripture several days in a row, maybe you'd remember too. See, the proof's in the pudding. Paul said in this uh, passage in 2 Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, it's interesting that, that he alludes to what we sometimes call the falling away. In fact, it's uh, referred to as the falling away in this uh, text. Uh, Paul spoke of this uh, departure from the faith in uh, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 4 when he said some would depart from the faith. And he earmarks, he earmarks uh, the signs that would indicate who this or what this falling away was. He says, first of all, they would forbid some to marry. And secondly, they would command to abstain from meats. Now, there's been several religions that uh, have made those requirements, but the Roman Catholic Church was the first one. You see, when Paul made that statement, there was no denominations. There were no churches uh, in the sense of being many faiths or many uh, beliefs. There was only one. There was only one church. Now, whether that was the church that uh, meets here at this place or which church that was, you have to study the Bible to figure that out. But the point is, there was only one. And some left the one faith, the one doctrine, and departed. Now, notice what happens here. This departure occurred by a leader. This leader was a lawless one. He moved away from the will of God. His working was the working of Satan. Notice now what he says. He says they have power, they have signs, and lying wonders. Now, the Jews understood that there were two elements of power in the world. 
It was the devil and the Lord. Now, have you ever wondered who it was that turned those uh, magicians' sticks into snakes and Moses' presence long ago? It wasn't God. In fact, Pharaoh represented the devil. And his magicians that are named by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Jannes and Jambres, when Moses threw his rod on the ground and it became a serpent, they also came forth with their enchantments and threw their sticks on the ground and they became snakes. Now the difference was God's power through Moses consumed the snakes of those magicians. And if you go back to those ten plagues, the first four miracles that Moses performed were all uh, repeated by the sorcerers of Egypt. Now, where did their power come from? You see, the Jews understood where it came from. It came from the devil. Now, don't you underestimate the power of the devil. The Bible says that this lawless one that was going to leave the faith, that was going to lead away a rebellion of people, is, was going to have the power of Satan. He was going to perform power. He was going to have power, and he was going to perform signs. Now, it also says lying wonders. Now think about that. Here they'd be led away through miracles. It clearly says that. But look at what Paul says, how you could be protected from that. He says, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now those who are led away perish. Now they're not the author of the lies. They didn't come up with the lies. They were deceived. They perished. But notice what he says. Because... They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, salvation depends on my understanding and believing the truth. And if I don't love the truth more than I love anything else, if I don't love the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, then I could perish. I could lose my soul. See, that's why there's so many faiths in the world. Did you know that, that it's outdated to say there's only 3,000 religious faiths that believe in Jesus? Just in the Presbyterian faith alone, there's 1,000 divisions. They won't work with each other because they all have different faiths. One, one denomination. There are hundreds, there are thousands of different ideas, and they all claim to be following Jesus. But here Paul says... Some are deceived. Now what we have to do is look at our lives and figure out, am I one of the deceived? You see, anybody can be deceived. And uh, most of the time when we come to the Bible, we come to the Bible with our bias and our prejudices. You know, we're all biased in some way. We're all prejudiced in some way. But what we have to do, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Now that's not a maybe. That's not a possibility. That's a matter of fact. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And he said in his prayer, in John 17 verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now listen, the Bible is not hard to understand. You know what's hard is when we have a preconceived idea and we study the Bible. Grandma used to tell me, she said, son, you got to learn to study the Bible to know God's will. She said, most of us study to prove somebody else wrong or to prove somebody else right or to prove ourselves right. So the point is, 
When we study the Word of God, we need to come to the Word of God with the desire to know what is right. Now, if Jack has an idea, and I have an idea, and he has a scripture that backs it up, and I have a scripture that backs it up, one of us is wrong if, if we differ on that principle. But maybe both of us are wrong. What we have to do is study the Bible and figure out what the truth is. And that takes a lot of work. That's why we encourage people to come to the assemblies of the church. Do you know that's why it's so important to have good preaching, good teaching? Sometimes the shoddy preaching that goes on in our congregations has caused people to be misled. Now, that doesn't mean that if I'm misled because I'm not studying like I should, that that's going to excuse me. But as teachers and leaders of the church, we have a great responsibility. That's why James says, my brethren, be not many teachers, for we should receive the greater condemnation. Now, whether you like it or not, if you're a teacher or leader in the church, it's a double standard, see. You're going to be judged stricter than the average member. Now, sometimes people will use that as an excuse not to do what they ought to be doing, and they'll, they'll sit in their seat and uh, they'll warm their bench. But when you read Matthew 25, you don't get much comfort with that because the man who only had one talent buried his talent, and Jesus called him a wicked and slowful servant and cast him into outer darkness. So it doesn't matter how little our ability is or how big our ability Now listen, if you can't carry a tune inside of a barn, then don't try to get up and lead singing. Now it's your responsibility to sing, but you don't have to sing louder than anybody else in the church, but you gotta sing. But now you may have ability to do something else and whatever that ability is, God's given it to you, and you use that ability with all your might, and that's just as valuable. You know, we have a tendency to think that the work of the church is public, leading prayers or leading singing or teaching, and that's a part of it. But listen to me, folks. I'd rather have six men that can study the Bible privately and talk to people individually than 15 who get up and talk and can't teach. Now, I'm serious about that. We need everybody. We need every thing that anybody can do. Now, if you want to be saved, you got to love the truth. And you got to love the truth with everything that you've got. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Why, Paul? That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, it's true enough that uh, anybody who tells a lie is going to be lost. We know that. Now, out here in the religious world, or even in, in, the, in the secular world, that's changed. You know, my dad bought his first house in Fresno, California on Olive Street in the 19, uh, early 19, or late 1950s. I think, it, well, it could have been 1960. But he bought it with $50 down and $50 a month. Can you believe that? Why, you can't even get them to let you sign a contract for 50 bucks to rent. But he bought a house, $50 down, $50 a month. Now when you buy a house, you gotta almost write a book with your signature. And time you get done, you feel like your arm's cramping because you've had to sign so many papers. Well, that's because people have changed. 
That's because the truth is not something that's valued out here in the world. But in the church, it's still that way. And to lie, whether it's a white lie or a black lie or a big lie or a little lie or an easy lie, it doesn't matter. It's, it'll send your soul to hell. That's what he said in Revelation 21, verse 8. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. But now, what about those who believe a lie? Maybe you don't tell a lie. Maybe you're always truthful. What about those who believe the lie? What about their sincerity? You know, there's, a, there's an idea that if you're sincere, that's all that matters. In religion, you know, none of us are going to think that because I'm sincere and I'm put my money in a certain bank that's about to go belly under, that I'll be safe. No matter how sincere I might have been when I put the money there. But in matters of religion, sometimes we we think like that. That as long as we're sincere, that's all that matters. But I want to tell you something: the truth is what matters. And I think uh, briefly this afternoon. Now, if you're going to get your nap, you better hurry up because I'm going to be done. I'm not catching a bus, but I'm catching a train. And uh, this young prophet is told by God to go up to Israel. He's from Judah. This is after the kingdom is divided. Uh, the northern part is known as Israel. In the Old Testament, uh, there are passages in the prophets when you read about Israel. It's not talking about Jerusalem or the descendants of Jesus uh, in the city of uh, Jerusalem or the land of Judea. But it's talking about the northern kingdom that was divided after Solomon died. Now you remember, Solomon was led away from God because of his uh, godless wives. He erected some idols and things. But God said, I won't rip the kingdom away from Solomon for his father's sake. Thank God for your father if you're a wicked son today. Because he might have saved you some heartache. Well, Solomon dies and his son, Rehoboam, comes to the throne and the northern kingdom is ripped apart and Jeroboam becomes the king of the northern kingdom. Now listen, this is absolutely incredible. In fact, it's another story we don't have time to look at. But Jeroboam is in Egypt. You know why he's there? Because he feared Solomon. Solomon was seeking to take his life. But now God calls him home. He calls him out of Egypt and tells him to come back to Israel because he's going to make him a king over ten of the tribes. And so he has a king. He's a ruler now because of God. But you know what he does? He thinks he needs to help God's plan. I'm going to tell you something. When you try to help God's plan, don't matter how insignificant it may seem or how important you think you're, what you're doing is, you're getting things screwed up. You're getting things messed up, friends. And the Bible says he told the people, now look, it's too hard for you to go back to Jerusalem and worship it don't matter that, that God recorded his name there or that the prophets uh, proceed from there or that the Levites are priests there. It doesn't matter what God has said. We're going to erect an altar at Dan, which is uh, way up north in the kingdom. And we're going to erect an altar at uh, Bethel. And that golden calf, now the golden calf was not an idol. We, we miss that sometimes. It was an image representing God. You know, an idol was an image representing a false god, but this was an image, and they were worshiping supposedly the true God through that image. Now, that was just as condemned as idol worship, worshiping false gods. God told them not only to uh, turn their backs on idols, but they weren't supposed to worship images. That's why, uh, you know, the old preachers used to get so frustrated with our people who tried to make a cross, an emblem, or a, or a 
decoration. Crosses aren't for decorations, friends. Now, I'm not going to tell you you're damning your soul to hell if you wear a, a cross around your wrist. Well, what I don't understand is when you wear one, you wear the prettiest, rosiest thing you can wear. And you know why? Because we don't even understand what the cross was. The cross was an emblem of suffering, dis, uh, dis, despicable shame. So if you want to wear a cross, make it a little bloody. You going to wear a bloody cross around your wrist or on your neck? I doubt it. But if you're going to wear the kind of cross that represents the cross of Jesus, it's not a decoration. Now, here they were also appointed, that is, there were some men appointed to be priests at Dan and at Bethel by Jeroboam. He set it all up and it had the same feast days as they had in Judah. And God was very upset with this. And he sent this young prophet, we're not even told his name. He told him, he said, you go up there to Bethel and you charge that uh, idol and, and that king with sin. And so, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood to the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David, and on you shall sacrifice, he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Sure, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Do you realize how long it is before Josiah is even born? It's probably at least 200 years. It might have been 400 years before Josiah is even born. And yet this prophet names the man that's going to do what God said is going to happen on this altar. Pretty amazing. Because you can read it later on in the, in the account, both in Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, and the Bible, and in some other historical writings, that that very thing happened just like the young prophet said it would. Now I want to say that because God's word does not return to him void. Even when we don't live it, even when we don't practice what we preach, we're going to be punished for that failure, but God's word is still going to come to pass. So when a preacher preaches the word of God, even if he don't live it, listen to what he says. Because the word of God will judge you, not the preacher, not his life. Well, the Bible says that when this young prophet made that statement, that big shot king, Jeroboam, stuck his bony finger in his face and he cried out to his soldiers, bind that man. And you know what? When he did that, his arm wouldn't come back. I mean, he's walking around with his arm froze out. He can't bring it back in. And immediately he understands, he realizes that what he's done is wrong. And he pleads with the prophet to ask God to forgive him. And he does. And Jeroboam's arm is restored. And now Jeroboam's tune has changed. He's not mad at the prophet. He wants him to go home with him. You remember what the young prophet said? The one that told me to come here. Said for me to do what I've done. And then he told me not to eat. Not to sleep. Not to drink. But to turn around and go home a different way than I came. 
And he said, furthermore, if you offer me half of your kingdom, I can't go home with you. So he went on his way. What a great man he must have been. He went on his way, turned his back on all that fortune. And he gets out there and sits down under a tree. I don't know where it's at exactly, but it's somewhere on the journey home. Was it wrong for him to stop? He's probably tired. He experienced a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you something. When you have a job to do and you become idle, that's when the devil arrives every time. Don't forget that. Well, the Bible says that there was an old prophet who lived right there in Bethel. He saw that golden calf, however many days it had been erected, and he experienced and saw what Jeroboam was doing and knew it was wrong, but did nothing about it. But now, having heard of this young preacher, he wants to meet him. There's camaraderie between the old preacher and the young preacher, and so he finds out from his boys which direction the young man went when he left town. He asks him to saddle his donkey, and he rides out to find him. And you know what he does? You know what he does? He tells this young man, he tells the young man of Judah that an angel had visited him and that the angel had told him to find him and bring him home. Now that young man didn't have any reason to not believe this old prophet, did he? Well, think about this. And he went with the old prophet back to his house. He had done just as God had said. He had departed a different way. He hadn't eaten or drank. But he hadn't got home yet. And now this old prophet leads him to his house. And now it happened as they sit at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandments which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread, drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. <laughs> I can just envision what that young man must have felt. His mouth must have gotten dry as he rose up and ran the direction that he needed to go. He's riding on a donkey and something very peculiar happened. Now, most of us in America, we don't really know about lions. Oh, we have mountain lions. But I'm gonna tell you something, an African lion is a lot different than a mountain lion. Every time you cross the Kafue National Park or, or some other national park, there'll be great big signs when you enter the park. It'll say, don't stop on the side of the road and get out of your car. If you run out of gas, if your car breaks down, if you have a flat, stay inside the car. You ever once in a while, some fellow that thinks he knows more than the sign gets out of his car. And you know, one time I saw this uh, fancy $50,000 vehicle, I guess, one four-wheel drive Toyota Land Cruiser, chrome and beautiful car. And I came back a month later and it was still sitting there. I thought, huh. And you know, I got to talking to the rangers at the entrance to the park and they said, well, we found pieces of that man because he got out of his car. You see, an African lion 
You won't see them usually until it's too late. And when you got out of the car and he was in the bushes, he's ready to eat you. And he did. Well, I will tell you something. You know, I've heard a, a, a lion roar in the zoo here, different places. But I ain't never heard no African lion like it's in the bush, like I can hear in Africa. And sometimes they can be a mile away. And I'm going to tell you, that, that roar sends a chill up your back and makes your hair stand up. They're ferocious. And you know what happened? This lion came from out, the, out of the bush, this, this African lion, this, this great king of the jungle, so to speak, and knocked him off of his uh, donkey, broke his neck and killed him. And then he stood there by the donkey. He didn't eat the donkey or the man. And somebody came passing by and saw this amazing sight. And the news got back to the old prophet. And he knew that what had happened. That is the Lord's doing. So he went and got his body. Now, I want you to think about this young prophet. Was it really fair that he died? Was it really fair? How was he to know? This man was a prophet like he was. And he claimed to be guided by the Lord. But you see, the problem is, God's the one that gave him his information. And he shouldn't have doubted that God would give him more information if he needed it. And he should have listened to God and not the old prophet. Now, what's the, what's the, what's the truth of the matter? When God says something, he means it. When he says, drink this cup, he means that. When Paul said, we are all partakers of that one bread, he's talking to the church at Corinth. He's over there at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus had one bread, and we, the assembled church at Ephesus, ate from that one bread. We, the church at Corinth, ate from the one bread. You see, that's, that's serious. When he says sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, that's what he means. You know, when he told Nadab and Abihu to get the fire from the brazen altar. You know, if you go back and look at that, that's what he told them, to get the fire from the brazen altar. Now the tabernacle was set up. And at the brazen altar, that was the blood altar. That's where the sacrifice was made. When Moses made that sacrifice the first time, God rained fire from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. And God said, you don't ever let that fire go out. And when you have to have fire inside the tabernacle, you rake coals out of that fire and carry them into the tabernacle. The Bible says that they'd have you offered strange fire. Now that fire burnt you just like any other fire would burn you. That fire smelt the same, it acted the same, it did the same job, but it wasn't the fire that came from the brazen altar, it wasn't the sanctified fire. And the Bible says that when they tried to offer it, God burned them like charcoal. Now I'm going to tell you something. If I believe a lie and I stand before Jesus, I'll be just as lost as if I told the lie. So how, what does that do to us? Well, we better study. The Bible says, be diligent to make yourself approved before God. You have an obligation. You have a responsibility. I have a job to do. Every Christian has an obligation. I'm telling you. 
We can't let our prejudice and our bias determine what we believe and what we practice. We have to follow a thus saith the Lord. And if we don't follow thus saith the Lord, we're going to give account, account for that. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The man of God's fall, so can your fall be. It was an unusual sight. But the man of God was just as dead as if the lion had eaten him. This illustrates a lesson of tremendous value. Are we following the truth? You know, not every lie leads to the ditch. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, he says, let the blind lead the blind, for the, both, for the blind lead the blind, both should fall in the ditch. Well, if there's no ditch, you don't fall in the ditch. So sometimes there might be something someone says because they're misinformed. It isn't going to make any difference to their soul salvation. But anything that contradicts the word of God or fails to follow the word of God, that lie will damn any person's soul. We all have to be responsible. We will perish as a result of that. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. There is a way that seems right. I may think it's right. I may feel it's right. I may sincerely believe it's right. There is a way that seems right. To a man, but the end is the way of death. And in conclusion, you didn't get to go to sleep, did you? If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You want to be free tonight? You want to go to heaven? You got to follow the truth. The truth is simple. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. On the day of Pentecost, to those who heard the gospel and believed it with all their hearts, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If you're in this audience, you've never obeyed that gospel. Why don't you do that? The Bible says, and God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You see, like Jesus was buried, we're buried in water. We're buried in water because we're dead in sin and trespasses. When we're buried in water, we rise up out of that water, a new creature in Christ. Paul said, and God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. He says it makes you free from your sin. If you're in this audience, you've never done that. Why don't you do it? Why don't you come to Jesus while we stand and while we sing? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.